is going on, everybody? And welcome to the eighth episode of the Die for the Pylon podcast. I'm your host, Cole Weintraub, and I'm alongside my partner, Zach Van Arsdale. I mean, the sports world has definitely been heating up lately, and we have been on the edge of our seats seeing a new face in Indianapolis, the beard playing like his beard is on fire, and a massive extension with one of the younger faces of baseball. Zach, before we discuss the recent news, how has life been since the last time we spoke? I've been good, man. You know, life's been... Life's been treating me pretty well. Um, nothing, nothing really fantastic has happened, but yeah. you know, maybe. Hey. I, oh wait, actually, Q's Bay win tonight. Yes, over sir. Yes, Shout sir. out to my boy Tyler Schmidt. I hope you're listening to this, bro. That was, <laughs> that was a letdown tonight by the by the Clemson Tigers. You know, yes, we're in here catching doves, baby. We're making the NCAA tournament. Yes, uh, I put a lot of money on that one. But, right. uh, I've been I've been pretty good. Yes, sir. Hey, I mean, it's kind of a dilemma for me with Clemson and Syracuse, but hey, we're trying to get to the tournament. So Clemson to the side, let's go orange, baby. All right, so let's just start off with the NBA. Uh, we even, we don't really talk too much about the NBA, but we're going to start kicking it up now. So let's start off with the Brooklyn Nets. My Brooklyn Nets, you know, we've been balling out lately. So the Nets went on a West Coast trip a couple of days ago, um, or now a week ago, and won all five games over the Lakers, the Suns, the Clippers, the Kings, and the Warriors. So you may be asking who's stepping up and it's another, none other than James Harden. James Harden has been unbelievable. He's just been carrying the nets. I wouldn't say carrying the nets, but he's been, he's had a major impact so far. Uh, he just won the Eastern conference February player of the month. And he's had so many clutch shots and even defensive stance, James Harden defensive stands for the nets. And in the month of February, Harden has put up 26 points per game. 11 assists, and nine rebounds. He has shot an astonishing 49% from the field. Excuse me. 43% from three and 85% from the line. And, you know, he's taking on a different role. He's now fulfilling the point guard role where um, Kyrie Irving usually is. But with Kevin Durant hurt, Harden has taken this into his hands. And him and Kyrie had an exchange the other night, and, and they said that, Harden's the point guard and Kyrie's the shooting guard. And I would, I would have to say that's working out, you know, and James Harden. I'll get to him in a minute. Actually, Bruce Brown has been another player that stepped up um, since Kevin Durant went down over the last two weeks. Brown is averaging 17 points per game, 15 rebounds, two assists. And over a steal a game, he actually had a 29 point performance the other night. Bruce, Bruce has been using so many different roles. I, I feel like the nets have been, moving things around a lot since Kevin Durant went down. It's really been working. Um, he's even slid into the big man role. I mean, this guy, this guy's a shooting guard and they've been using him like a big man in pick and rolls. And, you know, it's been, it's been really successful. So let me put out a stat that I saw a couple of days ago, I'd say five days ago. So according to stat muse, the nets first 14 games with James Harden, they had the 30th best defensive rating in the league. Horrible, terrible. We talked about it when Bradley Beal sent the Nets home crying uh, that they had the worst defensive rating of all time at the moment. And in the following eight games, which were all wins at that point, eight game win streak, they had the 12th best defensive rating. And let me tell you something. If the Nets can keep up this pace on the defensive side, you know, oh boy, they, they're, they're going to be scary. I mean, they already are scary, but if they can play some defense, just enough defense, I feel like that's the hashtag for this year. Uh, you know, that, that, that's going to be crazy. So, you know, the Nets have been playing the way the Nets have been playing lately with Kevin Durant down. Uh, you know, it just leads me to think that with all three guys, 
and production from the rotation guys like Bruce Brown, like TLC, like Nick Claxton, like Roberson, like Shamit. I, I, I think these guys are unbeatable. I really do. I mean, I, unbeatable is, you know, a, a big word, but this team, when they're all healthy, and even when they're not all healthy, they are dominant. So they've been dominating without KD. Nine of the last 10 games they've won. So you may ask, when, KD, when is KD going to be back? So we aren't really sure. The left hamstring injury that he has, it's a strain. It's kind of tricky. So um, they don't want to risk anything. And the Nets have held him out through, throughout the All-Star break. So it brings upon some sort of an uncertainty. Uh, they, they've proven that they can win without him, though. So there's really no rush to bring him back. Um, and, you know, James Harden actually uh, stepping back into Houston for the first time since being traded. Let me, let me read you his line. So far, there's four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and that's are up 20. James Harden is 29 points, 13 assists, 10 rebounds, shooting 10 of 14 from the, from the field. And Bruce Brown, 28 minutes, 17 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 6 of 11 from the, from the, from the field. I mean, you can't beat them if they're going to have this production. Almost everyone in the starting lineups put up at least 15 points. So, Zach – I know I've been rambling on about my Brooklyn Nets, but do you think the Nets will command the top of that Eastern Conference, or do you truly think, non-biased, do you truly think that the Sixers can overpower them? And if so, why? So, I mean, if we're going to start, I'm going to put no bias into me first, and then I'll give my little bias, my bias take. Truly, to be honest, I think non-biased, the Brooklyn Nets are easily the best team in the NBA. And they should probably win the win the NBA Finals. But right. even with non-bias, I, I, I honestly don't think people give the Sixers enough credit. I, I do think that Brooklyn could beat the Sixers in a seven-game series. Right. But I think the Sixers, they've surrounded Ben Simmons with shooters, which in the past years they haven't. Right. They went out this offseason and acquired Danny Green and Seth Curry to fill those roles when Ben Simmons drives, he can kick it out to open threes, stuff like that. And I mean, Joel Embiid is playing at an MVP level. I don't care what you say. You just brought up a stat line. I'll bring up one little bit yours. I'll bring up one comparable to yours tonight. Sixers took on the Utah Jazz, best team in the best team, uh, hottest team, best record. Let's put it this way. I'm not sure they're the best team. I think they're a little bit overrated. Best, but record. best record in the NBA. Right. Joel Embiid tonight, 40 minutes, 40 points, 19 rebounds, three assists. And, yes, the assists are low, I'm not going to lie, but the 40 points makes up for the assists being low. And the game-tying step-back three-pointer to send the game in overtime, I mean, he is the MVP this year. And I truly think that he could carry this team to an NBA Finals. But, you know – I mean, non-biased. I think that people just don't give him enough credit right now. I mean, he's just he's just playing really, really well this year. And, I mean, being biased, Sixers are the best team in the NBA, and they're going to win the NBA Finals. I think that the Nets' defense, I just – yeah, if they're playing really, really well defensively right now, I just – do they keep it up for I don't know how many games there's left – you know, probably 40 somewhere or maybe a little, a little bit less. Do they keep it up for that entire stretch? 
you know, finish out the season strong and, and make a big run in the playoffs. You know, I think they're definitely capable of doing that, but I guess we'll find out. I mean, I know you're drooling over Joel Embiid, but yeah, you, you know, he's been playing tremendously. The guy has been doing everything on the court and he's been the reason, been the main reason why the Philadelphia 76ers are atop the Eastern Conference at the moment. You know, you, you talk about shooters. I mean, I'm going to have to disagree. I mean, they've, they've had shooters in the past. They've had guys like J.J. Redick that can splash threes, and he's one of the better three-point shooters um, of current memory. So, I mean, I'm not really sure if it's the shooters, but, like, with their starting lineup so far this season, they are 15-3. and three. They did, in fact, lose to the Nets when the Nets didn't have KD, Kyrie, or James Harden, but I'm just putting it out there. I mean, the the Nets did lose. We didn't have Simmons. I'll give you that. We did not have Simmons, but, you know. I mean, I think the Nets did lose when they had all three guys against them, but, I mean, whatever. Uh, So, you know, I I just think this Brooklyn team, if they can get hot, if they can just play well enough, um, they'll get to the the NBA Finals. I mean, that top three of the division. You got Sel- you got Philly, you've got Brooklyn, and you've got Milwaukee, and there's nobody competing with those three teams. Those th- three teams are the lock for the playoffs, and there's nobody touching them. But currently, I believe fourth in the Eastern Conference, the New York Knickerbockers. Zach, what what about the Knicks have has made them so good, and and what do you think about them? Well, you know, this year I just. As a Sixers fan, I, I hate to say this, but as an NBA fan, watching the Knicks is just awesome this year, right? All these young players, this young core talent, you know, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, um, what, Mitchell Robinson, you know, yep. the center. I mean, all these guys just have, you know, I feel like great potential. And I think this team has a really bright future. And the Knicks did – what they needed to do. And they went out and acquired the veteran, you know, leader in Derrick Rose. They brought him back to New York. And I mean, he's thrived since being in New York city. He's played probably his best, best basketball of the season, you know, in these past eight or nine games that he's been with the team. And the team is just, I think they're on a, well, they were, they were on a four game win streak, I think. And they, they lost they, last night pretty bad. They lost last night to the Spurs. They, they did get blown out. Yeah. But I mean, I think this team does have a lot of potential. I don't think they're going to keep up the pace they're at right now. I think they are probably, you know, over-exceeding their, their capabilities. Right. But I do think they're going to make the playoffs. And I do think there's a, there's a very good chance for them to make a splash, you know, in the first round. And depending on who they play, they, they could face a team like, you know, the Sixers and give them a scare in the first round or the Bucs and give them a scare. It's so, not the Nets. They could play the Nets, you know. And they could give the Nets a scare. We don't know. I think that the Nets probably match up pretty well against them, right. like they do most teams in the NBA. But, you know, I think I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how far this group goes this year. And, you know, they should probably be better next year. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that Derrick Rose move, I think, I think it needed to be made. And for, you know, for his locker room presence, he's been in New York before. Um, but – one key reason, in my opinion, was because of Emmanuel Quickly, who's been fantastic for the Knicks so far this year. Um, just to rattle a couple of his recent games off, last night against the Spurs, 29 minutes, 26 points, four rebounds, four assists, six of 13 from, uh, from three. Then against the Kings, 20 minutes, 25 points. You know, 
this guy can score the basketball. And we saw it in, at Kentucky last year under um, Coach Calafari. Um, but, you know, this kid, this, this kid has a lot of potential. And bringing in a guy like Derrick Rose to push him, you know, off the bench, he's not playing too many minutes. He's only averaging 19 so far this season. But, you know, if this, if this, if this Emmanuel quickly kid can get going, I think the Knicks, Knicks will be, you know, trouble in the future. Uh, like you said, I, I think they'll probably make the playoffs this year and get blown out in the first round. But, you know, I, I, I like a lot of their players this year. And, you know, it's it's the first time in a while where I've been able to say that about the Knicks. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan, but, you know, seeing the Knicks play well is – seeing the Knicks and Nets play well is is pretty cool, you know, when you have both New York teams going at it. So, you know, we mentioned it earlier, you know, we got Syracuse got a big win today and that's, that's awesome. Uh, so we've had hopes of making the tournament after that huge comeback win against Notre Dame. It was like 23 points. I hate Notre Dame. So that was awesome. But then we lost to Duke and Georgia tech. So that stunk. Um, and that, and that hurt us dramatically or tremendously. Uh, and then two nights ago, that we face off against the surging North Carolina Tar Heels and squeak out a 72 to 70 win. And then tonight we beat up on the, you know, pretty successful Clemson Tigers and beat them, what, 64 to 54. Um, you know, Syracuse has been a roller coaster this year. We could win two games in a row and then lose two in a row. You know, it's, uh, we've won more than we've lost, of course, but I just feel like this this team is is consistently good or bad, and you know sometimes they can't even hold their own lead. So, you know, going fifteen and eight is respectable. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come at them for going fifteen and eight, and they haven't had the best talent um, too. Like they're big men, Dolajai. He's he's one of the thinnest big men I've ever seen, and you know any big man can drop a shoulder and lean it into him. Uh, and get through the contact and score the basket, you know? So I think that's our, our weakness, really just our, our, you know, defense inside because, you know, that's been, that's been bad for us, but, you know, we've had guys like Buddy Bayheim, Alan Griffin, you know, Gary A's grabbing a lot of rebounds. I think those guys are the reason why we're standing in this place where we are right now and watching tonight's game. I heard Joe, Joe Lunardi of, ESPN's Bracketology said that if Syracuse could close out their game against Clemson, which they did, um, and they walked into the ACC tournament and grabbed a few wins, um, that they'd be on the bubble for the ACC or for the NCAA tournament. And that is music to my ears. I love to hear that. Zach, you know, what about, what about Syracuse uh, excites you and what, what do they need to do? going into that ACC tournament to potentially bring them into the NCAA March Madness tournament? I mean, I think one thing that really excites me is everyone knows that Buddy Beheim can shoot the ball tremendously. Um, you know, we've seen it this year. Some games, you know, he's scoring, you know, 30 points, dropping, you know, seven <clears> – <throat> my fault – seven <laughs> or eight threes. Right. So, but somebody who's almost like a dark horse for us is Alan Griffin. I feel like he wasn't – you know, early in the year, he would drop 20 points a game. The next day, he made four. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that, teams didn't really think of him as a threat. But I think, you know, over the last three or four games, he's kind of proven himself as a very, you know, good shooter, a mm -hmm. steady shooter. He's going to make the open threes. He's going to, you know, play aggressive basketball. 
And that's what Syracuse needs. They need him to keep playing well and Buddy Behan to keep playing well. Yeah. And yeah, so Syracuse is kind of in a weird situation here. Um, currently, after tonight's game, they are nine. They finished nine and seven in the ACC. Yep. Which is a little bit of a bummer that they had, you know, a couple or actually several games canceled. I know everyone had had some difficulties with COVID, but uh, Joe Lombardi said tonight how it hit Syracuse the hardest. They lost two games to Louisville, which Louisville star player would have been injured. He was injured during those two scheduled games. Yep. They lost um, the home game to Florida State, mm. which, you know, we've seen what they've done the last two games at home. They beat Clemson and UNC two tournament teams. You don't know what could have happened against Florida State. Right. They lost um, a, a game against Duke and a game against University of Miami. So right there could have been th- two or three more wins that would have helped bolster their NCAA resume, but I took a quick look at the standings and I took a quick look at the ACC tournament. So as of right now, if everything held up to where it was, Syracuse would be facing off against Duke in the 8-9 matchup um, come next Thursday. Right. But the big thing for Syracuse, and a lot of Syracuse fans are hoping for this, is the one time in our life we hope Duke wins against North Carolina this Saturday because that would, that would put us in the seventh seed meaning that we would skip the playing round and we'd either face Miami or NC state, which would be a much better draw. And then we'd probably have to face Virginia in the next round. And I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe we'll get a little bit of roll. Virginia's going downhill right now and we'll take advantage of that and get ourselves in the tournament. Hey man, it'd be awesome. And you know, I, I was, I was also watching the game tonight and hearing about, Hearing about, you know, how we missed out on those couple of games where Louisville's best player was going to be down, it's disappointing to hear because, you know, those couple of wins could be the difference between a higher seed and a lower seed, and that could potentially get us into the tournament easier. But, you know, it is what it is. We're going to have to do some damage in, in the ACC tournament. And, you know, if we got our shooters locked up and we can grab some, some rebounds, for God's sake, um, I think we're going to be sitting easy. Well, I'm going to make a quick comment. I think what really hurt us was our two losses against Pitt. Because if yeah. you win, and those are two winnable games, if you win both those games, you're 11-5, and five, and you're in third in the ACC. Yep. So right there, I mean, from third to eighth place, I mean, that that's your that's your tournament right there. Yep. Right? I mean, yeah. you're third in the ACC, you're probably going to make tournament, and you're probably going to have a, a nice, easy path to, to a semifinal, so. Yeah, I mean, a team like Syracuse with, like, a good resume, you know, their history, Jim Beheim, you know, stuff like that helps out, you know. So, you know, it is what it is. We'll see, we'll see how it all rolls out. But we're going we're gonna to switch things over to the NFL. Uh, your boy, question mark, I'm not sure. Carson Wentz was dealt to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I was not surprised. We knew that Wentz was going to get traded. Uh, but – you know, it happened. So he's going to the Colts. The Colts sent over a 2021 third round draft pick and a conditional 2022 second round pick, which could in turn turn into a first round pick uh, if, if their record is not as good. So, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Carson Wentz. And I thought that the way he played last year was gutless. Granted his offensive line was not good, but his six yards per attempt was just abysmal. That stinks. Like six yards per attempt. I don't care who's playing wide receiver. 
I, I could be out there playing wide receiver. I expect more yards um, per attempt, but the Eagles threw loads of money at him after his injury, and he just wasn't what they expected. Uh, I mentioned the offensive line always being banged up, coincidentally, when Wentz was out there. But going to Indianapolis is huge for them, for him. Th- this, this is put-up-or-shut-up time for, for Carson Wentz. If Carson Wentz can prove that he can, that he can play under this system, then he's going to be here for the next I don't know how many years. Uh, Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator in 2017 when Carson Wentz was you know, at the top of his game before his injury. So if Wentz can't perform in, in Indianapolis, then, you know, he stinks, plain and simple. Um, so the Colts are known for having one of the best offensive lines in football. I mean, they kept Phillip Rivers from getting killed. That guy is the most immobile guy I've ever seen. And he had a foot injury. So that's, you know, and their young talent is also really good. You're going to touch on that later, but their defense is one of the best and that will continue to be the case. Uh, so initially, you know, there's multiple sides. You could look at this. The Colts are taking on all of Wentz's contract. You know, that's, that's a heavy, that's a heavy price. And they're giving away a three and a potential one. So for them, you might, you may say it's, it's overpaying, but if, if they have the confidence in Carson Wentz and he can go there and produce and be the type of player that he once was, then it's not so bad. And I think that they should bring in, they should bring back T Y Hilton and make a big splash, like a Juju Smith or a Will Fuller, like those two guys, one of those two guys, I think those, I think those additions could really help out Carson Wentz. Um, and on the Eagles side of it, you know, they're bringing, they're bringing in draft capital, which they need. They got holes to fill, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what they got to do. But hearing that Jalen Hurts is not a lock for the starting job, I think it's a little bit ridiculous, but it must be strategical for one reason to make him work harder than ever. If, if they bring in a guy that's going to make, that's going to push him um, to play better then then that's good for them. But you know, there's multiple ways to, to, to look at this. Carson Wentz could be um, a major factor in Indianapolis. I wouldn't say that that's the missing piece, but Zach, what do you think about this deal? And, you know, your boy Carson Wentz leaving Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz leaving Philly is, is still upsetting to see. Um, I wasn't really a big fan of Carson, but he did bring good memories while he was here, you know. He, not him, you know, specifically, but he was a part of the team who, who won the Super Bowl. Right. Um, and us Philly fans have, have wanted that for a long time. On the football side of the deal, you know, I think this is the perfect situation for Carson. I think it's a win-win for Carson Wentz. Um, he's leaving a situation where the Eagles are probably more more in a rebuilding phase. Uh, actually, they are in the rebuilding phase. Yep. And he's going to a team who last year made the playoffs and – with their young core of Jonathan Taylor, you know, uh, they got Michael Pittman out there, wide receiver, Naheem Hines, um, Jack Doyle, the tight end, I believe. Um, you know, this team could once again go back to the postseason. So I think I would see from that it's a win. But also Carson is going under the coach who he was with in 2017 and 2018 for, I, I think just 2017, I think his MVP season, he was with him or, you know, his MVP caliber season, you could yeah. say, um, was under Frank Reich, who now is obviously the head coach of the Indian, Indianapolis Colts. 
I think for that, Carson will thrive again. I think that he likes how Frank Reich, uh, you know, moves the offense. And, you know, I hope the best for Carson. I, I do hope that he succeeds. I think he's I think he's a good person. I just – I don't think he was a fit in Philly. And us Philly fans have very short short leashes with people. Um, you know, you don't perform. We want you out of Philly. So, yeah, I mean – I do think Carson going to Indianapolis is an upgrade for him. Yeah. I mean, this, that situation in Philly was, was not good to, to, you know, not good at all. And Carson needs to go, go somewhere where he's comfortable going, going to play and he's got the weapons and he's got the offensive line. He's got the defense. I mean, the puzzle pieces are all there for him. He's just got to pull it together. Um, but I thought, I thought there was something funny. So Carson Wentz, who wore number 11 on the Philadelphia Eagles, Wanted number 11 when he goes to the Colts. But my guy, Michael Pittman Jr., you know, USC, absolute beast of a wide receiver, said, no, he's not giving him the number. That's his number. And I respect that. Second-year player stepping up into Carson Wentz's face, you know, a nice warm welcome to Indianapolis. No, you can't have your number. I like it. You know, Michael Pittman, I think he was already number 86, and he switched it to 11. So when guys have, like, merchandise they're selling, like, Oh, Michael Pittman Jr., number 11. You know, who, who wants to lose lose out on that? Uh, yeah, I think, no. um, I think a veteran, a vet, they signed a veteran. I'm not sure who it was, but I think they signed somebody who came in and, and Michael Pittman was what? Like, I think he was four or five weeks into his NFL career. And right. I didn't really have a say in, in his jersey number. He was going to be 11. They switched him to 86. Yeah. And they switched him back to 11. Um, and obviously now he's – He's kind of proven himself to be a decent wide receiver. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think Carson Wentz earned his number in Indianapolis. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And, you know, Michael Pittman has showed flashes of being one of the best of that, of that wide receiver class. I think he's probably the most underrated. So, last episode we talked about Russell Wilson um, and the potential that he might get traded. But, you know, we weren't thinking much of it. But supposedly – you know, he has a no trade clause and he wants to play in Seattle, but supposedly that he could, he has a no trade clause. So he has to wave or he has to clear the teams, teams that were listed were Dallas, excuse me, New Orleans, Oakland, and the bears, sorry, Las Vegas and the bears. Um, and those are four teams that have offensive lines. So, you know, he's clearly just, delivering the message that he doesn't have an offensive line. I really don't think Russ is going to go anywhere. Um, the Seahawks have been one of the more su- successful teams in the past 10 years and losing Wilson would sink them to the very bottom of that fantastic NFC West division. So Seattle just needs to make the necessary moves to protect him. He clearly has the weapons to the best cat pass catchers in the league, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Some could say that the wide receiver duo is the best in the NFL. So losing Chris Carson in the offseason will need to address the tailback position, but that's definitely not one of their biggest concerns. The Seahawks have had a bunch of running backs in the past, and they've all produced. So, I mean, I don't think the running game is really a major factor here in this offseason, but supposedly Pete Carroll wanted to bring in uh, a guy that would, you know, really want to run the ball. So maybe that's upsetting Russell Wilson. I'm not really sure. But like I said, Wilson is a no trade clause, meaning he has to accept any trade destination for the deal to go through. Um, so he's desperate for an offensive line. According to Spochak with their top 51 players contracts, 
Seattle's about $11 million under the cap. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown on, you know, what they need to do or what they could potentially do. So since Russ wants, still wants to play in Seattle, I could see him reconstructing his contract. We said it with uh, Mahomes potentially reconstructing his contract in the last episode to allow the Seahawks to sign some offensive linemen. Wilson is due to $32 million in the 21 season, and that alone is $17 million of the cap of Seattle's cap. Another way the Seattle could free up some money is by cutting the soon-to-be 33-year-old pass rusher Carlos Dunlap. Dunlap was effective in the eight games that he suited up in the green and blue, accumulating five sacks. Up to that point, when he got there from that trade, Seattle had a historically bad defense, but his pressure off the edge helped them out tremendously. He's, he's set to make $14 million in 2021. That's the biggest knock. I think that, the, that it's very possible that we don't see Carlos Dunlap with the Hawks next season you know, primarily because of his money, you know, the type of player is, is exactly what they need, but the amount of money he's making, it might not be worth it. You might want to look out for your quarterback. So Seattle's biggest issue, like I just hinted at is their defense. If they had a slightly better defense, they could have made a deeper playoff run. They lost to a injured Jared Goff. It's Jared Goff. I mean, come on now, you know, they're, they're in a tough situation. Do they bulk up that defense and go into the draft and re-sign Quentin Dunbar, Shaquille Griffin, and KJ Wright? Or do they look to satisfy their franchise quarterback? You know, I must say, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Seahawks do in the offseason. I'm not really sure. I, I think Russell's going to be a Seahawk. I think he'll be a Seahawk for a while. But they've really got to bring in an offensive line. He hasn't had an offensive line so long. So we'll see. Zach, what do you think about these rumors and, you know, if you see Russ going anywhere else. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you covered most of that, of that there. Uh, for me, I, I do see Russ sticking, sticking um, the rest of his career out in Seattle. Right. You know, I think it's where he's been since he was drafted and that's probably where he's going to stay. I just going to add a quick little funny note or not really funny, but JJ <laughs> Watt signed with the Cardinals. And right. you know, everyone talks about how, Seattle's offensive line is probably one of the, you know, worst in the league. Mm-hmm. And yet another pass rusher comes into the, the NFC West just to try to go out and sack Russell Wilson. I mean, it's almost karma, right? You know, this happens. Russell Wilson comes out and, and says that he's frustrated with how many times he's getting hit. And yet the Cardinals, a division rival, go out and sign probably one of the best D, D linemen in the NFL. So, you know, I do think that Russ – Hopefully Russ can figure it out with Seattle. I, I think that they have a really good – they had, you know, a really good connection in prior years. Um, and, you know, I do like to watch Russell Wilson as a player. I think he's dynamic. I like how, you know, he rolls out of the pocket and, and makes really, really cool throws, um, stuff like that. So, you know, when Russ plays well, I think a lot of people are happy for him. So I hope that he can, uh, he can go back to where he used to be. Yeah, and, you know, he's got the weapons. You know, we talk about quarterbacks who don't have weapons, Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold. But Russell's got the weapons. So to see a guy like Carson – or, sorry, like Russell Wilson, you know, wanting to leave because of his offensive line, you're, you're sitting you're sitting thinking to yourself, what the heck? Why isn't Seattle, you know, bringing in, uh, bringing in guys to help him out? I mean, quarterbacks don't have the shortest leash. I mean, we've seen guys like – Tom Brady leave the New England Patriots. So it's not impossible that Russell Wilson's no longer a Seahawk, you know, in the future. So, you know, if we're going to talk about, I, I said, we, I think we've talked about him in like at least five of the eight episodes. 
Deshaun Watson. There's just more news coming out, and it's just laughable how, how they're handling it. So a few days ago, we found out that Deshaun Watson met with the newly signed head coach, David Cooley, and reiterated that he did not want to be a Texan in 2021 or ever. Uh, I don't know if he really had to reiterate. I guess, you know, for respect reasons, he had to go meet with the head coach, this and that. But once again, it just adds to the dysfunctional system in Houston. They need to trade Deshaun. And why continue to hand the keys to a guy who doesn't want to be there? What's, what's the point of doing that? They're, oh, uh, Watson's going to be our quarterback next year. No, he's not. He's not going to play for you. He's going to take the fines. He'll do whatever not to play for you. Why would you want that guy playing quarterback? I mean, you know, it's no knock on Deshaun because he's doing the right thing, in my opinion. You know, the guy doesn't want to be there because they have made the situation horrible. Zach, give me your take on this. And do you think Deshaun is being, you know, a little babyish or do you think he's being totally realistic? Well, so, you know, first off, I'm not a – this is almost why, you know, my favorite sport is baseball um, or watching MLB so much. Right. I am not a big fan of professional athletes who, who are signed to, to contracts to play for teams requesting trades. You know, if you go down the list, you got Anthony Davis who requested a trade from New Orleans, Jimmy Butler and that entire situation in Minnesota, similar to kind of Antonio Brown, obviously with the Steelers and the – Raiders, um, you know, not really a fan of how the situation with Carson Wentz was handled. You know, I just I don't like when players request trades because they're unhappy with team's performance or, or something like that. And they don't, you know, unless you're playing an MVP thing, which maybe I think Deshaun Watson is, yeah. you know, most times I disagree with the players requesting trades. But mm-hmm. I think in this case, I am 100% on Deshaun Watson's side. Um, yeah. This is probably an exception for me. You know, Houston is ruining his career. And, yeah, you might say, well, Philly ruined Carson's career. But Carson didn't have – you know, Carson's last two seasons weren't good. Like, it wasn't like Carson was putting up MVP numbers. He's horrible. Watson is putting up, you know, pretty um, good numbers, I'd say. Yeah. And, you know – He's not getting credit for it because his team is what? You know, one of the worst teams in the league. So it's just – I really hope Deshaun Watson can, can, can get out of there. I really hope he goes to New York. Yeah, that's probably my prime destination for him. You know, and I hope that, you know, maybe one day I, I am able to see him play in New York. Um, but, yeah, prayers up for my guy Deshaun Watson. Yeah, Deshaun, Deshaun needs to go. Deshaun is a guy that I, – I know I remember saying this. He's a generational talent. He's a top four quarterback in the NFL, whether you want him to be over Wilson or not. Um, you know, he's, he's awesome. The guy can literally do it all. He's like a five tool player in major league baseball. He can, he can run, he can throw so on and so forth. But, you know, I, I want him to go to a team where there's already weapons and there's no mess. There's, there isn't anything messy with the, with the organization, with the, with the ownership and the head coach and, I think he's he's I know he can't really choose who he gets traded to, but really anyone but the Texans is probably going to make him happy. So you said that you'd like to see Deshaun go to the Jets. So what does that mean for Sam Darnold? Uh, I don't think Sam Darnold's going to be a Jet by the start of the season. You know, the Jets have so many holes to fill. So simply receiving and taking in a third round pick, just a excuse me, third round pick for Sam Darnold. That's worth taking, in my opinion. 
We know the Jets have not put the best team around Sam Darnold. The best weapon that he's had in his career so far is Robbie Anderson, who they mistakenly did not re-sign, which was crazy, who put up a 1,000 yards in Carolina with a former Jets quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, and Jamison Crowder. So, you know, he and his offensive line has been abysmal, and there's been zero signs of an effective running game. So this, this, guy, this guy has been tortured. Like, maybe it's not the front office, but this guy has been tortured. This guy was thrown in a jail cell, and he's getting pounded by a bunch of 400-pound guys. I don't know if that was the right, you know, analogy, but, you know, he's been put in a situation where he can't succeed. Um, so ideally, the Jets could give Darnold another shot with the new head coach, the new offense coordinator, and the almost $80 million that they'll have to spend in the offseason. But Darnold's a roadblock. A part of Sam Darnold's rookie contract is a fifth-year option, which they could drop or they could pick up. His fifth-year option is equivalent to the league's transition tender, which hovers around $25 million. If the Jets picked up this option, he'd be guaranteed that money in 2022, and there's no questions. Um, but that's a huge commitment for a guy that has not shown any signs for good reasons, any signs of being their franchise quarterback. I do not think the Jets would want to give Darnold that kind of money in their fifth year. Um, and I know for sure they will attempt to, to receive some sort of draft capital for him. I know this because earlier today, you know, ironically, the Jets general manager, Joe Douglas, who love him or hate him, whatever, he spoke to the media and made it clear that they will be fielding, call, fielding calls for Sam Darnold. And I don't really like this. Sam Darnold's what, in his third or fourth year in the NFL, going into his third or fourth year in the NFL, drafted number three overall, hasn't been given any help. And here you got the general manager talking that he's going to field calls for him. Uh, I think he expects it, but it gets to a point where if they can't, if, if they're not going to deal him, then this is going to be in the back of his mind. They tried trading him. You know, it's going to lead him to think that he doesn't, he's not wanted there. And I'm sure he doesn't want to be there. But, you know, he also said that he believes Sam Darnold's a dynamic player in the league, which I think's baloney. Uh, and, I, and I think it sounds I, – I just think it sounds corny. Um, but if the Jets do – the Jets have just – it just sounds like the Jets don't have any rush to trade him. Uh, they have to make that decision by May 3rd to pick up that fifth-year option or not. Um, so if he is dealt, it's likely to see that we'll see him – out before the draft personally i think the jets will draft a quarterback with that second overall pick or use that pick to trade for a play caller like deshaun watson uh but then again joe douglas downplayed that in today's interview so i, I don't know if there's any true truth to that but we'll see but if i had to predict a potential landing spot for sand Darnold, i would have to say pittsburgh's the best fit and here's why i'm gonna go quickly here it is likely that ben wathelsburg remains a stealer for another year you know like it or not. But past that, Pittsburgh does not have a viable option down the road. A few months ago, they picked up Dwayne Haskins after he was released by the Washington football team. And backup quarterback Mason Rudolph, whether or not he has the dent in his head, is still under contract. So what better way to push Dwayne Haskins, who has been thought as a player who lacks effort with a quarterback controversy? If Big Ben does come back, then Darnold and Haskins most likely won't see any playing time if the Steelers are still in contention. Pittsburgh can choose not to pick up Darnold's option, making him a free agent after the next season, but they could re-sign him if they like what they see in camp, practices, or even some playing time if it falls into place. 
Steelers have plenty of young weapons and one of the best defenses in the NFL. So having little holes on their roster makes them more willing to, you know, deal a third round selection. You know, a team like, you know, a team like the Giants or, you know, I'd say the Giants are probably a good example. The Giants have holes. The Giants have holes to fill. Third round picks are very important for teams like that. The Steelers, what really is a third round pick? You know, they got embarrassed in the playoffs, but they were 11 11 and 0 for for a reason last year. And, you know, making a trade like this could prove, and, you know, Sam Darnold could turn into a really good quarterback on another team. He's on the Jets. He could go to Pittsburgh and become a great quarterback. Zach, I know we just talked for like an hour, but, you know, Sam Darnold, where do you think he lands? Does he stay in New York? Does he go somewhere else? Let me hear your thoughts. Um, so, yeah, I think obviously for me, it's if the Jets end up trading for Deshaun Watson, right. obviously Sam Darnold will probably either be traded in that deal or traded in a separate deal. Probably, you know, if I choose, I'd probably stick with you on this one with Pittsburgh, you know, simply just because, like you said, Big Ben is probably done after next year. And, you know, I think that he's a good fit there. I think that's a, that's a passing heavy offense. Mm. And um, if they, I don't think they will be able to keep Juju around, but if they do keep Juju, Juju around, you know, I think Sam Darnold could fit, fit very well there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, for the Jets, it will come down to decision, a decision of, they could have, they could be looking for three quarterback options next year, right? You could have Deshaun Watson, you could draft a quarterback at number two, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, um, or you stick with Sam Darnold. You know, so I do think the Jets have some choices to make. I think if they go option one or two, definitely look for Sam Darnold to be traded before that May 3rd yeah. um, option pickup or whatever. But, you know, I think it'll be interesting to watch how the Jets handle these upcoming months just all around. Yeah, of course. And, like, with Sam Darnold, you know, I think the Jets could hold potentially hold on to him. I don't know what they're going to do with that number two overall pick. Maybe they trade down. Maybe they get the lineman. But – you know, they could keep Sam Darnold and not pick up his fifth-year option, spend up, you know what load of money in free agency, try to build a team around him. And if Sam Darnold's not the right guy for it, so be it. You don't have to pay him the next year. I just don't think the Jets are going to do that. They're the Jets. They seem to make the wrong decisions quite a quite a bunch. So we'll see. You know, Sam Darnold, I, I, I pray for you, man. I, I want you to go play somewhere and – and make the Jets regret, you know, not building a team around you. Uh, so that's enough with the NFL. Baseball, really exciting. Zach, spring training is here as of a couple days ago. Pitchers and catchers reported a while ago, but spring training games have been played. Zach, you know, I know you're a big MLB Boston Red Sox fan. So what does this mean to you? I'm just – I'm happy that baseball's back. Um, obviously, it's my favorite sport to watch. I know people think it's boring, but I could honestly sit there for nine innings and just fall in love with every pitch. Right. You know, I'm excited. The games are on ESPN and will be network. You know, I can watch them pretty much from like one to like seven at night. So yep. it's just really exciting to to see. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm. It's just you know when spring training starts, you just know that you're going to be you know packed with baseball until next October. So yeah. it's great to see. Um, I, obviously, with the minor leagues being canceled last, 
last year you weren't able to see a lot of prospects yeah. play, but you know, spring training is always a time where where top prospects um, you know come out and show show their skills. I know I saw a video today of uh, the number one prospect, Wander Franco, or uh, however you pronounce it, hit that absolute moonshot to right field. You know, so stuff like that just makes me happy that baseball's back. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to touch on my touch on my favorite team, the Boston Red Sox. You know. People are going to doubt us this year, and I respect that because we do suck. But, um, you know, I do think that something that people are going to underestimate is our hitting ability. I know it's spring training, but 23 runs in two games in seven innings. I mean, in my opinion, that's pretty impressive. Um, I think we've hit, you know, five or six home runs. And, you know, two of them in the last two days have been by our supposed to be next, you know, big thing. Uh, Bobby Dahlback, he's hit three all spring training, but I'm just, I'm excited, man. I don't even care if it's the Red Sox or, you know, the, the angels or I'm just, I'm excited. Baseball's back. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and wish that, you know, I mean, I'm going to wish that the Yankees beat the, you know, what out of the Red Sox every time they play, but it's fun having the rivalry. It's, it yeah. just, it just adds to it. Uh, but you know, in the last couple of years, the Yankees have handled the Red Sox pretty pretty easily. And you're except 2018. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you. Oh no 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 no! Of course, 2018, your World Series year. But you know, 2019, yeah. 2020. It's just it's just like the Red the Red Sox are, are they're struggling and losing a guy like Mookie Betts, the guy homegrown MVP, losing them to the Dodgers, and that's crushing. So I don't know what the Red Sox man. We'll see, but one of the biggest base, like one of the biggest, you know, deals made this off season. Well, he's not, it's not a guy going to a new team. It was Fernando Nando Tatis Jr. With a major extension, 14 years, $340 million. That's awesome. You know, seeing this deal, it just, it just brings happiness to me. Seeing a 22 year old, bringing the third biggest contract in Major League Baseball history is just super exciting. Sure, Tatis hasn't even played 162 games in his career yet, but when he's on the field, he's been electric, showing off all of his five tools. He's homered 39 times, 27, stolen 27 bases, hit 300 with an OPS just shy of 1,000. He's only played 147 games. I mean, those are crazy numbers. And this is huge for San Diego. Fernando Tatis Jr. is one of those players that makes a young fan enjoy the game of baseball. I know, you know, baseball's a little corny with like, let the kids play, but Fernando Tatis Jr. is a really enjoyable player to watch. And, you know, if I was super little and I was trying to find a team or I was just trying to find some interest in baseball, and I saw Fernando Tatis Jr. with the dreads, pimping home runs, stealing bases. It's just going to make me fall in love with the game. It's I, I fell in love with the game watching it, you know, 10 years ago, seeing guys steal bases, hit home runs. It was awesome. There was so, there was so much to it and guys don't really steal bases anymore, but Tatis does. So I know they've invested a bunch of money and years into Manny Machado, but this deal makes sense. I'm not worried about Tatis's health. His injury in 2019 that completed his outstanding inaugural season was a fluke. People may be hesitant to give a guy this much money so early in his career, but giving Fernando this deal reassures him that, he, that they want him to be a San Diego Padre for life, and I love that. You know, being a New York Yankee fan, Derek Jeter was a Yankee for life. It's just, it's just cool to have that player around for so long and have such an impact 
um, on that city. And I think Fernando's going to, you know, bring a similar impact. Um, uh, maybe not as Jeter, as much as Jeter, considering they are in the, you know, playing against the best team in baseball, in my opinion, the Los Angeles Dodgers a bunch of times per year, but, you know, they're still going to compete. They're still going to make the playoffs, whether that's wild card or the division. And Fernando's going to be the reason why they're, why they're there. Fernando's deal will, will be spread out throughout the years. He's not going to be making his annual value 24 or his average annual $24 million off the jump. He's going to make a smaller amount through his arbitration years. And then it's going to slowly pick up. You'll see his average value pick up in 2025. I'm pretty sure he's making $20 million, but according to Spotrack, his contract will cap at $36 million a year from years 2029 to 2034. That, that's pretty crazy. The guy's going to be, you know, low 30s, maybe still in his prime, but hopefully by then Tatis's bat will not lose any life. And at worst, he becomes a third baseman because Machado's going to be gone. Zach, do you believe in giving young players like this, especially a guy who's hasn't even played 162 games yet, uh, uh, giving a contract – of this, of this amount, of this commitment in years. Do you believe in this? Or do you think this is awesome for San Diego and, you know, they needed to do this? You know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the 14-year contracts. Um, or, you know, <laughs> I like to consider the life contract. You know, you're locked up for a long period of time. Um, I do think it takes away from the players, you know, real value. Obviously, Fernando Tatis is getting a lot of money, so <laughs> – value i mean he's definitely being valued there i do think the padres probably you know if you had to compare both sides i'd say the padres probably won because i do think fernando tatis is probably going to be one one of the best players in baseball i mean he probably no he is probably one of the best players right now yep you know, he's 22 give him two more years and he is going to be the face of baseball mm-hmm. um if he's not almost already you know yep. and i think that he could probably have made more money but I do think the Padres, you know, they said that, you know, we want to keep him here for, for his career. So they wanted to make sure they got it done. Yeah. They don't want to have uncertainty, you know, walking into his later arbitration years. Yeah. And, you know, they did it. So, I mean, overall, I'm not a huge fan of it. But, right. you know, I think that if both parties mutually agree and I think the player, you know, has gone there and gone off their system, then then go for it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry for the White Sox fans who had to experience James Shields, of all players, traded for Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, looking back on that, White Sox fans probably kicking kicking the can right now. They're so angry. They do have a, a stud shortstop of Tim Anderson who's won the batting title. But imagine Fernando Tatis on the Chicago White Sox. And, you know, the guys, like I just said, the guy's going to make be making $36 million is age 31, 32, 33, 34, 35 seasons. You know, making $36 million when you're a 35-year-old is a pretty – is awesome for him. Uh, so that's really exciting. He's really exciting. So we'll get to see a lot more of him in the coming years in the Padres uniform. So that wraps it up today. You know, we covered a lot of stuff, but there's going to be a lot more coming from us. We've got We've got mock drafts. We've got baseball starting back up. We're going to come in with our division predictions. We've got a lot of stuff in store for you guys. And, you know, we're, we're really enjoying all of this so far. So I want to thank you guys for listening and watching. And the Die for the Pylon podcast is signing out.
Peace. Peace.